0: Hi everybody! Welcome to this week's episode. Um, sorry, it's a bit late again. It's like a sort like kind of groundhog apology every week. Sorry, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm really late again. Oh, sorry, it's late again. It's late again. Um, yeah, I was trying to get into a groove. A Tuesday, a new kind of day on a Tuesday, but um, made a bit of a mistake this week. Uh, I thought I was back at work on Wednesday. And I was back at work on Tuesday, so it kind of scuppered all my plans to do the Tuesday podcast because I was going to make the Tuesday podcast in the afternoon and then get it out Tuesday night and then back at work on Wednesday. Boom. No, completely nowhere. So I ended up having to make it now on Thursday afternoon because, um, um, yeah, just not at any time. So, yeah, it's so Thursday tea time now. Um and, yeah, this week, I mean, that, that intro solo um, is a funny one because I don't know how much of it I'm going to actually include because I've been playing for quite a while, actually. Um, well, 30-odd years, actually, no, I'm only joking. I've been playing for about 20 minutes um, with the old brushes. This, uh, as you can see from the title, this is... Uh, Brushes part two. Um, and I wanted to do a follow-up episode. Uh, firstly, because the I did an original episode called Brushes part. It was episode four, very early on. And I, it was a nice, I, I like that episode. Episode? Uh, episode. Episode. I like that episode. It was a nice vibe to it. And uh, I managed to talk about quite a lot of things. And it wasn't very long, you know. It was like an 80, 85 minutes or something. Uh, it had quite a lot of information in it and it covered a lot of the stuff I'm really kind of keen on with Brushes. And I also had a lot of positive uh, feedback over the last few months about that episode um, when it came out and over the, the subsequent weeks. It was the most listened to episode, actually. It was, it was listened to like 10 times more than the episodes around it. And then it was only subsequently kind of uh, kind of beaten by the interviews um, the Stuart McCallum interview and, and the other interviews I've done since. But uh, yeah, the brushes thing seems to be very popular. and I had a lot of questions about uh, things that are in that podcast. and um, so I thought I'd just kind of not go into too much more detail about the things that are in that podcast, but go into like an area of brushes which i didn't massively get into in that um podcast and talk a lot about and that's this thing of of playing the brushes um vertically like as like you would play with like you would with sticks i'm really talking about how to kind of develop that style of playing with the brushes different decisions that you might make with how you fundamentally set up your brushes you know and that might sound a bit weird to some people it's like well you know you you know you get a pair of brushes you you open them out you play them and that's kind of generically true but actually there's some subtle nuances uh, to that and i definitely have a kind of nuanced approach to um, how i have the brushes set up uh and it's changed a bit in the last 15 years um and, and then the other thing I didn't talk about in the previous episode episode was specifically was about Steve Gad who actually um i rate as one of the um one of the sort of the world's great brush players and and the reason why I say that is because of the way in which he plays brushes in songs in um, in kind of more popular music in straight music and the way he has this um very funky um, approach that incorporates both lateral and vertical control. Um, so yeah, I wanted to touch on a few of those areas today. And the first kind of the first area to kind of get into is this thing of like what brushes do I use, which is not very interesting really, um, and also what brushes, how I set sorry, how I set up the brushes. Um, so my kind of, I mean, I I've always played for a long, long time. I've only used uh, primarily one um, type brush, which I think I've already gone over anyway in the in the previous episode. But I'll just just quickly go over it again. Uh, I play these Regal Tip, uh, the five eight three R. Now I'm not sponsored in any way by Regal Tip. Uh, I do have a uh, a long term relationship with um, Dedario uh, UK, um, and of course, the, you know the sort of the main company Dadario which which um, which supplies ProMark. Uh, and the only reason why I don't use the ProMark brush, which is very very similar design to this, is. Is the, is the end ring on the end. Uh, I don't like that design. It's a shame because I actually like all the other things of, about the equivalent Promark brush I actually quite like. You know, I like the wires and I like the gum handles. Very, very similar to these. But they don't have the ring on the ends for playing, you know, for doing that stuff. And when you do stuff like... Just using the end of the brush as a kind of a, an effect thing or a rhythmic thing, you know. And uh, you can also sort of hit the snare with it and stuff. But. but the thing about the ring at the end of the brush as well is, is, is on these regal tip brushes, and, and on most brushes that are retractable, when you retract the brush, when you, you look at the, the shaft that is attached to the actual brush wires, there are normally some little kind of knobs, little indentations in the metal, which basically work as little stoppers. So if you want to go to position one, this is position one on the regal tip brush, and it's a very, you don't get, um, the brush isn't splayed at all. Then when you go to position two, which is this, the brush start to get a slightly wider splayed brush. And then when you go to the full in position, you get the fully. And that's the whole fan, the full splayed uh, brush. For years, I played at position one and I used to bend the, uh, the metal uh, downwards from, uh, from my hand. so I'd hold the brush the it's really hard to sort of describe this when you can't see it, but I'd hold the brush you know obviously it'd be flat. The, the, the actual wires would be flat so you can hit the head. And then the metal the sort of metal shaft that's left on the other end because it's only in the first position on the first little uh, bit of metal that's got this little knobble in it thing. I would then bend that downwards, and what that would do it was it would change the centre of gravity with the brush, and so that, and also that that metal, the bit of metal at the end, wouldn't be touching my hand, and the thing that would touch my hand would be the the, the gum handle and the, the sort of ball end of the um, of the brush. And the other thing to say as well, sorry, is that the thing that's great about these Regal tips is that when you turn them round, they have really nice quite soft quite soft gum handle so you can play you can play nice cymbal rolls you know so you've got a little ball for playing cymbals, and then you've got the end for playing the sizzly thing and you can get these quite nice quite nice effects you know and you can also use you can have like the one You can be rolling with one brush and uh, leave the ring on the on the symbol with the with the other brush and just get these little sort of like sort of rivety effect or like a chain effect without having to have the chain or the rivets in the symbol. Um, so it's all that kind of stuff going on as well. Anyway, um, so what I used to do, yeah, I used to have this thing bent so it would change the center of gravity with the brush. And it would also mean I could get that bit of the gum handle to sort of hit the back of my hand. Uh, And as I've got sort of older and I think slightly better and I play kind of slightly simpler with brushes these days, uh, I've gone for a more open, fanned uh, approach. So I'm now playing the second kind of novel. Um, So position two. And... And I also don't bend the um, the end of the shaft where the ring is. Now I leave it alone. I just leave it where it was because I sort of prefer the um, the centre of gravity. So so that's a sort of sort of change for me. But it's quite a big change. And and the other thing that I used to do with the brushes and this was because I've, I used to watch Steve Gad a lot and the Gad. Yamaha GAD brushes, signature brushes, have bent brushes purposely. The, they've got this uh, bend, it's kind of a third of the way up the brush or or third down from the, um, two thirds of the way up or a third down from the, the end of the brush, where they're purposely bent. So when you play with traditional grip, the the brush f- sits flat against the head without much resistance from the wires. And I used to do this manually myself. When I used to get a new pair of brushes, I would open out the brushes, hold them really tight together, get uh, get some pliers, and bend them quite carefully, about a third of the way from the end, only on the left hand brush. So I'd end up with brushes that I always played, uh, you know, one in the left hand and one in the right hand because I because I made because I made this kind of bend. The gad brushes are in both hands. Both the Yamaha ones are in the right hand, the left hand. So. Um, and it's a really nice vibe that but again it's something that i've stopped doing um as i've kind of played the brushes slightly more splayed so that there's slightly less resistance um and yeah and i think it's basically um it's about sort of wanting slightly wider sound and having a bit more confidence with how i'm playing the brushes is why i've kind of gone for this position too very occasionally, if I'm playing uh, ballads and stuff, I'll go for the full, um, fully splayed position, push the brush all the way out in both hands because I'm playing this more kind of... kind of vibe and and I just want the maximum I just want the maximum kind of uh, brush sound you know so you just get that by having the brush fully splayed and uh, it's kind of cool and it's useful if you're playing any of those kind of trick techniques you know you roll out this one where you're, you're rolling the brush across the head with you with your hand where you're using the rim and the brush kind of flaps around and also when you're doing the using that technique where you, it's like a one-handed roll technique where you hit the rim and you get two strikes. Um, but if you if you kind of you hit it hard enough and get it in the right position, like if you do it like that, you don't get anything. It start to go, and there's an ultimate position, and then, and then it starts to get choked. And that's just hitting the brush uh, with the actual wires on the rim, not the gum part. Gun parts like that, this is with the wires on them. It's a slightly different sound. I prefer it with the wires on. That's using t- two different sounds. But um, Anyway, if you're using that te- technique, it kind of works better, I think, with a more splayed brush. The sound, when you've got less splayed, is like this. You hear that? It's not you haven't got quite as much in the sustain. Again, it, it, it's slightly more controlled, but it, you're not getting as much projection. So um, it might be useful if you've got a very close mic situation in the studio. I mean, I'm playing in my little studio now, so so it's a very it's close mic. You know, got the fifty seven is is on the snare as it normally is, and uh, that's probably going to come across sounding quite detailed, but. Yeah, when you're playing live, you've got various different decisions to make, haven't you? And we've discussed that in the previous episode about projection and stuff. But yeah, I've now got into this thing where... I play this more, what I'd say, the the second position. And I'm playing laterally like that. That um, I've kind of got a compromise, with the best between a uh, best of both worlds. Because what I'm after is I, I do want some kind of um, some sort of lateral sustain, but, but also want to have quick access to the vertical sound. Uh, but I'm going to concentrate more on the vertical thing today and talk about ways to develop your vertical playing with brushes to build up strength and kind of um, rudimentary control, you know. Um, So the best place to start, what I always start with, and um, I think I mentioned this before, is I always start with the hands on the drum. the hands, you can really sort of play. You've got to play a lot of things that you play with brushes with your hands. So it's a great place to kind of just interface and and get experiment from the beginning with, uh, with how you'd like to play the brushes. But if you want to get some lateral, sorry, some vertical stuff together as well as the lateral stuff. But the vertical stuff mainly is my advice is always to practice rudiments with your hands in two positions. One with the wrists on the drum or on the practice pad. That's a paradiddle with my wrists leaning against the drum and playing with my kind of uh, with my nails, my fingertips. Like doubles, you know, flam accents and flam taps, you know, things like, um, like pat- the different variations of like patter fla-fla and things. And then do them all the same things with your wrists off the drum. is that you have to hold dealing with the weight of the forearm with and without the wrist up and down. The, um, it's quite different playing than playing when you're leaning against the drum with your wrists down, when you've got your wrists off the drum, and you're having to hold the weight of the forearm and play doubles, etc. Um, that can really help you build strength just in your hands. And then when you pick up the brushes and you come to play things... when you're playing all those different kind of rudiments it's much easier to get your hands around them if you practice stuff with your hands literally with your hands because the problem with the brush fundamentally is the sustain the the way in which it rebounds and I don't know if any of you really think about this sustain on the drums has two uh, things one is like um in like a long sound so take the damping off the floor Tom so sustain is that or it's it's also it's about rebound and about creating long sounds so Some people think of like playing doubles fast around the kit as playing doubles fast around the kit. Other people think of playing doubles fast around the kit as creating sustain around the instrument. It's just different ways of thinking about things. For me, it's always been about sustain. There, in inverted commas, uh, I think of them more sustained things than, than than fast doubles. You know, um, the, there's a certain kind of emotional attachment to the way in which they sound, well, the way in which they're played, and then the way in which they sound. Um, and I think it's c- slightly different. I think people, when they listen to it or watch it, they're like, "Wow, oh, it's really fast and woo or whatever." You know, some sort of whatever, some sort of technical thing, you know, it's seen as some kind of fast thing. But for me playing it, it's an emotional thing. It's not about speed or whatever, it's about creating uh, a a sustained sound, you know. So we have this thing with brushes compared to the stick. if If I'm just dropping, say I'm just dropping this brush onto the snare, If I'm not going up very high, I sort of stay down lower. You sort of tend to create a better uh, amount of rebounds, it's more control. <laughs> With a stick, like that's one, that's just my right hand, and, and I'm able to sort of. Just by, just by giving a small squeeze of the thumb, I can generate a certain amount of sustain using the rebound. and then it's Just controlling the end of it with a little, closing the hand up, I can basically, as you can hear, generate like a sort of a short roll with an accent. Little rim shot. Now with the, I'm literally doing the same thing there with the brush, uh, just to demonstrate the, the completely different way that the lateral thing works. That's emotionally, physically, what I'm doing with my hand there is exactly the same as I've just done with the with the stick, and listen to what's happening. In the very little. I'm just just like ah so frustrating you could get very frustrated if you're not understanding the, the sort of the physics and the the lateral motion of the brush and how you can get more out of the brush laterally by using a different slightly different approach you know now I'm not saying you can get exactly the same amount of uh, rebounds as a stick I I don't believe you can that's my personal view I mean I I can't is what I'm saying uh, I'm not saying maybe that some genius amazing technician can't uh, but with with this brush on my drum i cannot create the same vertical rebound uh, as i can with a stick <laughs> that's that's the disclaimer there it's been said um, but if i sort of start to think about If I start to think about how I'm kind of striking the drum with with the brush vertically, and and put a different type of energy in, I start to generate a little bit more sustain. And a lot of it's just about being gentler and going in from a a shorter throw, you know, not going in from a higher throw, uh, going in from a quite short throw. So you can experiment with all those kind of ideas. Uh, But the main thing is, is this idea of working on just some fundamental rudiments you know etc. So just using some paradiddle, different paradiddle variations there um, and some right left left variations you can end up generating some quite nice vertical um, flexibility you know. The one thing that you will, that I've realised quite quickly was this this thing of uh, became quite important to me uh, this sound. Now, that sound is right, left, left, with an accent, right, left, left. Now, I know you probably listen to other, maybe listen to some of the other podcasts where it talks about rudimental, personalising rudiments, you know. Uh, and people know, you know, about my sort of love of the paradiddle little, right, left, right, right, left. And the left left has an accent on the second left without an accent at the beginning it's not that sound which is the six stroke roll kind of sound because i'd just rather play um, uh, i'd rather just play a six stroke roll thing it's more about having quite early on that this right left left generally this right left left thing was very important for me in order to sort of have some flexibility when playing with the brushes and, and playing you know um, having that flexibility to create accents and stay in um, in a kind of home position because uh, it's a lot of this thing that when you're playing jazz you know the kind of home position to sort of replicate that thing on the brushes. The accents... Mainly being created by the left hand, there, you know, and it's the same in both pattern I'm playing with sticks. You know, the the, (laughs) that going on the ride (laughs) symbol. I mean, just that's ridiculously overemphasized, but you can hear that the, the left hand there is creating those textures. The right, the right hand is just. Playing time, you know. So I wanted this. I wanted to have this vertical flexibility with the hands in the weaker hand. Because the thing, that, yeah, let's. You know, if you're left-handed, then this, this whole thing is a, is a is a is the opposite sticking conversation. You know, you're it's a it's a left right right with the accents. If you're right-handed, then it's like I am right left left, and I wanted. So technically, we've got to find a solution to that problem that's going to work and be consistent and not be something that's a strain, you know, something that's going to be easy to, to. Uh, a technique is going to work and be efficient, you know, and it's something that we can get into the muscle memory and then can become part of our uh, unconscious um, competence, as they say. So, and for me, it's about this kind of, It's a turn with the left. I play traditional grip brushes pretty much always, by the way. It's not the same as, you know, I can play... I can play brushes like that's match grip. It means nothing on this podcast because nobody can see anything. But um, just as a disclaimer to know what what we're talking about technically here, I am playing traditional grip with the brushes. So... What's happening is I'm the first tap stroke is a turn of the hand towards the drum. It's, it's, it's like as if you were turning a handle on the door to close it, not doing the opening. You know we talk about this thing with traditional grip. Where you open uh, you open a door or you, you turn a key or a handle and then you close it. So that your foot the forearm is rotating from the elbow, yeah, and then of course in, involved in that is lift and drop, which is that creates the fundamental thing of where you got the position where your my hand is flat on the snare drum now, and if I turn the hand and pick up the forearm, it's now my the palm of my hand is is basically up in my face, and I can see the palm of my hand as I as I put my I drop the hand down again to the snare drum. I can now see the back of the hand, and the hand is flat on the snare drum, and, and that's the fundamental approach. So the first strike, the, the quiet strike, is that, actually, He's turning the hand towards the drum, and the brush taps the snare, as you can hear. I'm just not controlling it at the moment, I'm just letting it do what it wants to do. Now, if I control it, I get a single strike, and if I want to create the accent, I close the fingers, It's almost like retrieving the brush and closing the hand, and depending on where, depending on how tight I squeeze, lots of different. Op- I've got lots of options on how I kind of how aggressive I am with the hand. But the fundamental thing is this tap, and then this closed hand to create this strike sound. So basically, the second stroke, the accent stroke, is created with my forefinger. Uh, I can do it with my thumb as well. That's a slightly different sound, and I'll, I use that for some things. I kind of. I usually, when I've got the on the hi-hat, I use. prefer it to that sound. You hear the difference? Sorry, I hit the microphone's down there. That's always the precarious thing with this, doing this podcast with the mic, is that the mic stand is always in the way, and the mic's in the way of everything. So playing is like a bit of a nightmare. Um, but I'll suffer for my art, you know first world problems. So I think, my my view is the the, the four finger one, which is this one, is is generally easier to play gentler. And I use the thumb one if I want want a slightly more aggressive thing, but I can create the aggressive sound with the with the forefinger, it's just that it sort of rubs a bit on the finger, and it's a little less comfortable. Whereas on the whereas on the snare drum, or with the hi hat, we're using the thumb. I don't get it's not uncomfortable in any way. So that's my personal, you know, approach to um, those kind of things. I, a lot of people know who know me who know me with the way I play with sticks with traditional. Is I use the thumb. A lot to kind of round off uh, multiple strokes. That's kind of just the way I play. I don't always use the forefinger, so uh, the thumb's really useful. And it's underutilized in my opinion in traditional groups. It's never taught properly, I don't think. People forget that you've got this. You've got two strokes. You can turn the turn the forearm with the hand, and then you can just roll the thumb. And those two things, but you know, can create multiple things using that stroke some people do use it and uh, i don't see it taught a lot though my theory is because a lot of people don't play like that so they don't teach it because they don't know how to you know And, and that's totally cool it's like i don't teach things i don't know how to play um you know generally all the stuff that i teach i have experimented with sticks, particularly with lots of different techniques, you know, it was one of the reasons why actually I've got much better with match grip because I'd, I wanted to be able to really teach match grip as well, you know, and uh, be able to sort of walk that walk. But the other reason why was because certain things, I just got more into playing certain things with match grip than traditional grip, you know, I just didn't have that sort of thing. Everything must be traditional. Everything must be played how it feels best, in my opinion. I, that's just how I feel about things, you know. So whichever way things need to be done, it's not the heel up and heel down thing. You know, most of you know now that I practice everything heel down. I don't play everything heel down. You know, I play everything with however it feels best to play it. That's just my view, you know. Um, I'm not saying that's the best view or it's the correct view, it's my view. If that helps you make decisions more or more, makes you feel less confused about feeling like you have to do a certain thing and it's helpful. That's um, that's cool. It makes you more disagree with me even more. That's also cool. <laughs> just you know, I'm just happy when people have opinions. Well, the fu- yeah, one of the fundamental things for me anyway, with this lateral, or sorry, with this vertical. He's saying lateral, with this vertical approach, was being able to have this flexibility in the left hand, the weaker hand. that's kind of why i'm going on about it so much because most people maybe would play no those triplet things would play uh, which is uh, left right right sorry yeah yeah and of course if i'm playing around the instrument that way i might Now that's actually played both ways. I was doing right, right, left, or left, right, right. So with the accent, I was also doing right, left, left with the accent going round and up the toms there. You know, um, I don't mind. mind those kind of crossovers that was uh one one bar of it was right hand down the tom and then the next one was left hand down the tom so you know i don't mind that um but I've just got that. I've got those options because I'm not reliant on all the complicated technical things having to be played with the right hand. Is sort of the point of what I'm saying. I think you should challenge yourself to develop um, the that kind of dexterity, that vertical dexterity with brushes with your inverted commas weaker hand. You know, I think we frame this thing of weaker hand because it's the hand we don't write with. And I think that you know you can tell yourself your whole life that it's a weaker hand, and uh, you can confirm that by keep telling yourself it's a weaker hand, or you can change that pattern of a lifetime and say, "Well, I'm going to um, I'm going to do something about this hand and make it stronger, and make it have uh, a strength of its own," you know, and once it be, once it has a strength of its own, it suddenly stops being the weaker hand in inverted commas it just becomes a different hand it becomes a hand that has its own strengths you know and if in a situation where you're now thinking of the hand having its own strengths and and not describing it as a weaker hand then i think that you are in a better place to sort of maybe challenge yourself to develop it in other ways you know one good thing to always, you really, really want to get your left hand. If it feels particularly like behind, uh, several things I was always told to do when I was younger was like things like open, open all doors with your left hand. Make a cup of coffee with your left hand. You know, um, scratch, you know, scratch your head with you with your left hand. And and ultimately, if you really want to get into um, you know something more ambidextrous is, is sit down and learn to write with your left hand you know uh, go back to kind of go back to school in, in a way if you think about when I mean I remember when I was at school I can still think now remember writing learning to write letters you know with my right hand and the little boxes had certain sizes for the for the smaller case and then for the capitals these boxes had different you know you had to hit different like marker points to make your capital letters and you can still see it now it's like a dim dim and distant memory but i can still remember that thing it's obviously something that was quite profound to me because i can still remember it now i was doing that when i was you know when i was at school when i was i don't know four or five years old whatever Learning to write jo- and learning to do joined up writing was—I remember that. And you know, My writing's pretty terrible because I just don't have any patience for it. But um, just trying to almost trying to write at high speed because I'm trying to get the ideas out whatever I'm writing. I'm trying to get it on the page, you know. So um, it's the priority is always the stuff that's coming out. It's not the—it's uh, not how the thing looks, you know. Which it's just kind of cool. Um, but I learnt to write with my right hand. Now, if I'd have been sat in that classroom, the teacher was would have been making me do it with my left hand. I'd have learnt to write with my left hand. It might have taken a bit longer. It might have felt a bit weird for a while. But eventually, I'd have just learnt to write with my left hand, you know. If I'd lost my right hand for some reason, you know, God forbid or whatever, then I'd have, the same thing would have happened. I'd have just had to learn to write with my left hand. Now, if you're really serious about that kind of side of things really really want to get into kind of ambidextrous thing then you know spend half an hour every morning writing out alf- writing the alphabet out because i did for a while i did a bit of it my left hand writing's much better than my right mainly because it's i write much slower so i take care <laughs> but i can write reasonably well with my left hand I just can't write very quickly you know so I never do it if I'm actually writing anything out I need when I'm writing you know it's, I'm always writing in a hurry so it's always right-handed but I did learn to write a bit with my left hand now I'm not ambidec- I'm not saying I'm ambidextrous in any way certainly not and uh, and coordinationly, you know i've still got massive massive holes in my playing um, which i'm trying to address all the time you know and that it's slow pro- it's always slow progress for me the coordinational stuff but i do i do when i learned to sort of write the letters the alphabet out and uh, trying to learn sort of joined up right with my left hand it definitely helped me with my sort of um, this thing of of how how my left hand how I kind of interact my left side of my body essentially, you know, so just some things to think about. But the the vertical thing is also just about that kind of (laughs) how you're interacting with the feet. Nice about brushes and the feet um, is that because the brushes are much quieter, if you're playing heel down a lot of the time, it's you get this really nice thing where. play this the, the, the right foot particularly I always feel because at the moment I'm using this wooden beater and it's really articulates I really like it uh, it's something that I would like, four or five years ago would have absolutely freaked out about using because I just, just like ugh. I just don't want anyone to, I just didn't want anyone to hear what's going on down in my bass drum you know because I just fundamentally thought it was crap basically you know um but as I've got, I've worked quite hard in the last this year anyway, as I talked about this kind of lockdown thing. One of the things I've really worked hard on is is is, is getting my bass drum playing a little bit better, you know, and uh, particularly with just sort of groove playing and straight up and down playing, not technically, just playing, just playing, trying to play flat footed and being really di- more direct and having more focus from the ground up to the up to the sticks, you know, from the ground to the sky, so to speak, not from the sky to the ground. And the other thing is is because the dynamic's lower then you don't have to worry about sort of projection you know you've got this thing of like the bass drum and the hi-hat without playing heel up you know and sort of pushing the dynamic in that way you know you're playing loud with the sticks then it can be hard if you're playing single pedal it can be hard to um to get the bass drum sort of balanced you're playing like lots of like quite fast patterns. Um, and so that's that's one of the reasons why I kind of favor double stroke than single stroke playing is because double stroke playing, I think is generally a little bit quieter. Uh, I think, you know, you really, really want to deliver very loud drums, treble F and it's like powerful. You've got to play single strokes. That's my view. That's certainly my experience. If, but I, I like to play the, the instrument sort of below double f you know fortissimo to mezzo piano to pianissimo you know so the double thing really suits me and then playing flat-footed and not having to play heel up and to get doubles and things really kind of suits that a little bit more you know um i mean some people play double pedal flat-footed to get that sort of articulation and and, uh, volume and that's cool but i just don't play double pedal i don't i don't I don't play. I don't want to play double pedal. I like to play the hi hat. Um, as as I just want to be able to play the hi hat whenever I, whenever I need to. And I think if I started playing double pedal, I'd there'd be there'd be times when I'm playing the bass drum and then. But I want to play the hi hat, and I definitely wouldn't be able to play the hi hat with the heel whilst playing the the bass drum in the way I'd like. You know. So I just sort of think, well, the big You've got to make a compromise somewhere. The compromise for me is I'll I'll stick with a single bass drum pedal and I'll stick with the high hat pedal, just two pedals, keep everything nice and simple. I mean, I can't play bloody either of them anyway, so, you know, God, it's like playing more than two pedals. I've Forget it, you know. I'm trying to get that together. It's going to take me forever and already has done. Um, but I quite like that thing of... I can play, that's just really nice, quiet, heel down, bass drum, Um, playing, concentrating on playing with the ball of the foot. I feel like when if I'm using that kind of full-stroke, rough vocab, I can also can just sort of can tune in. feel like I can sort of really tune in with the bass drum with that vocab, you know, so the four-struck riff can be right, right, left, left, which is my favorite way of playing it, as you, as you already know, or the doubles way, which is basically the same technique, but the doubles are in between each other. And, and then having this, or having this, which is foot, foot, right, left, with the accent. So you've got the three strokes of that. Okay. And then there's the four stroke roll with the hi-hat after it. Which is more like a five stroke roll, really. Right, right, left, left foot. Right, right, left, left hi-hat. So I always really enjoy the bass drum more when I'm playing with brushes, Um, kind of more than when I play with sticks actually, to be honest with you, just because I feel like I'm in a really comfortable dynamic place, you know, the the sound world, the dynamic of it is really um, my kind of home sound, you know. And the thing that I love about brushes, is that the more I play them, the more in tune with them I get. You know, it's uh, like sticks. I feel like I kind of get to sticks quite quickly, you know. And obviously, anything, when you warm, if you're not warmed up, then we get tuned in, don't we? And then we get into our normal playing place, you know. Um, but the brushes is like, a, it feels a bit more magical to me because it feels like there's a special place that i really get to and i've been playing them a lot you know things start to really happen and uh, i start to get this and it's more just about it's more about this just the articulation the, the accuracy and articulation of what i'm doing is um is just more detailed and comes across more it's not necessarily a speed thing it's just it's just that clarity thing and it's like a special level um, like today because i've not played brushes for ages um did a bit of brushes recording for some for a couple of people about a month or so ago and was just doing some sort of jazz stuff um and that was one of the other reasons why i hadn't had a chance to get around to record this uh, on tuesday because i think i oh, i could do it tuesday evening because i can play brushes it's quiet it's not going to disturb the neighbors um I'd just do it after work, you know, but then I had a full on day at work and just hadn't played at all. And it's like I just need to just have an hour or so. a bit of time with them so that when I came to record this I'd actually be sort of in a bit of a place but I could even feel as I'm playing a more... them more and more now I can start to feel like I'm like starting to get into a bit of a place with them in the hands you know um and it's definitely something when I'm on gigs for like I used to do um I used to do one gig particularly a long long time ago uh, 10 years ago um, there was only brushes the the venue um didn't I was the only drummer that ever did the gig anyway that the, the venue was a, was was not a venue for drums it was a quiet gig and uh and for years and years i was the only drummer that played in there and i did i think i did gigs in there for over 10 years and i only did one gig once with sticks and that was because it was a special kind of gig with a slightly bigger band and uh and even then i only like did half the gig with sticks It just sort of just got into that dynamic range you know um But I always tend to sort of, you know, like emulating groove things... I, I just sort of think it's. I quite enjoy almost that um, that sort of challenge of, of taking something that's normally played with sticks and, and playing it with the brushes instead, and still having like that uh, emotional weight and forward motion to it. And the thing that I've found actually, sometimes with with brushes, actually it's it's more. Uh, groovy and emotional with the brushes you know, because you, just because you've got this thing, even if you're playing like a groove like that so this groove is made up of fundamentally the right hand is playing uh, quavers um, eighth notes with a backbeat, and then you put a bass drum part underneath it okay now you've got choices, you can be different dynamic choices and then you just add just add the hi-hat in with the backbeat just to add in that little bit of color and then and then the left hand you can just add a classic classic left hand sort of brush pattern, like a, a lateral pattern I'm talking about here now, into that, it adds this kind of third dimension, which you cannot get with the stick, you know? Because I can get this, like if I'm playing the same thing with a stick. Uh, or I might be playing that, you know? Doing something where I'm playing both hands together, it's much easier to do that thing with brushes. Even this thing where I'm playing both hands are now playing quavers, the eighth notes, and then the fills. You know, because the thing I love about these Regal Tip brushes is the gum handle. got a proper bottom end what i call bottom end weight you know it's not weight that's got high end in it it's it's, it's weight that has bottom end in it so to, for the snare and the toms it's great when you're using the gum handle you know to give that kind of that vibe so anyway that's yeah i don't want to go on too much more um I said it before, if you're really into brushes or you want to get into brushes, I do recommend you get a lesson or two with somebody that really can play brushes well. Um, Because it's always good to sit down with somebody, look at how they're doing what they're doing, how they're interfacing with the instrument, laterally and vertically, maybe even video it. You know lots of my students video all the things i do with brushes they, they take a video of them they take it from a kind of you know point of view video sort of over my shoulder just so they can watch it back and, and then emulate it you don't want to do it like you know facing someone because everything's the wrong way around and that's the problem with the youtube thing and stuff and watching people on on instagram and stuff is a lot of the videos are not point of view that a lot of the videos are sideways or, or in front of the kit or whatever not always there are some point of view videos. But it's just getting someone to stop, you know, and talk to them about where is that circle starting? How are you making that swish sound? How are you making that vertical sound? How are you making that articulation? All that stuff. It really is, I think, important for you to find somebody, seek somebody out and, and have a cup and spend a bit of time with them. Maybe, you know, an hour, two, three hours over a couple of months or over six months, you know. Um, the main thing about having lessons with people, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again, is about being prepared, you know, it's about knowing why you're going to somebody to get what you need out of them. Um, it's really important that, I, I think, you know, if you, you should go to somebody that you watched playing and, and really inspires you and interests you to be able to sort of glean information out of them, you know, about how they're approaching what they're doing. It's not about stealing what they're doing at all. It's just about, like, if you like the way somebody plays, and you like the way somebody approaches the instrument and the sound that they make, um, if you, you know, if you don't want to understand why, then you then you don't ask. You know, you just enjoy what they're doing. You know, um, you know, I like um, the way Vinny plays, for instance, Vinny Coyote, You know, there's one drum of a, of a hundred I could pull out of the air. Well, Vinny's not someone I'd ever want to go for a lesson with because I don't want to play like Vinny you know I, I, it's great playing it's not my style of playing you know it's like Brian Blade I wouldn't want to go for a lesson with Brian Blade completely different drummer mega I love listening to him play absolutely I never want a lesson with with Brian Blade because I just don't you know I just want to enjoy listening to him for what he is um where there have been other players, where I, you know, have have wanted to, you know, study with or at least speak, talk to about the way they're approaching the instrument, you know. So, I think the brushes thing. I, I had a lesson with Adam Nussbaum, and one of the things I wanted to ask Adam about was playing with brushes because I do think he's one of the best brush players alive, you know, uh, and I think he's one of the brush, best brush players who's ever lived. Uh, he has a, a really special way, I think, of playing the brushes, something very deep and emotional about the way he plays with brushes. Uh, he's got such an amazing feel anyway with sticks. And it really transfers well into the brushes, in, you know, in my opinion. So, you know, I went for a lesson, I had a lesson with him, and there's two or three things I wanted to ask him about. Uh, one of them was about brushes, and uh, he showed me one or two things. That were really great, really helpful, and were were new to me. You know, stuff that I'm still practicing now. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it's come out well. I've not even checked whether it's recording properly, so hopefully it's recorded properly. Um, yeah, we'll just have to see where the regular episodes end up. I'm not going to make any commitments this week now to where. When the, sorry, when and where things are going to be recorded because it'll just be nonsense, probably. Um, the aim is still to try and get things out for Tuesdays now. I think the Sunday thing is long gone. Um, but we'll see how we get on. Um, a lot of this because I want to try and do a few more things at the kit, really, so it has to be a thing done sort of away from the weekends, mainly. Um, so, yeah. And I hope, you know, everything's well with you and you've uh, had a good week. It's been a it's been a funny week uh, for me because I was a, was off have been off for a couple of weeks and I'm back at work suddenly and uh it's um, you know fills the headspace with a lot of stuff, a lot of things going on. Um, and obviously gigging sort of starting again, I mean sort of conversations with our staff about gigs that they've potentially got the next you know month or so and some of them are abroad and it's tricky you know but it feels like the human race is trying to find a way you know a way to make things happen again and it does feel like music's gonna start again uh, which is good Um, nothing going on for me personally but um, I'm happy for you know the people if gigs are starting and uh, the potential of that and the fact that, you know, people and venues and promoters, etc., are finding a way to, you know, to get audiences back out of their homes and back watching music live, which is really important. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, feels slightly more positive, I think. Uh, not ideal, of course, yet, but, um, you know, we can just all keep fingers crossed. So thanks for listening and um, I'll be back again next week so bye for now